G'day legends and welcome to the Sonic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight are Liam, Shane and John. How are you Shane? Oh, a bit cold. Thanks mate. Um, it's uh, middle of December here. We're, we're it's through summer. I've got uh, I've got my hoodie on. I've got the gas heater flowing through. Tell you what, uh, we might see that white Christmas after all. Yeah, it's a bit fresh down here in Melbourne. It's uh the official measurement of how cold it is is it's colder than a witch's tit. So there we go. That's what that, that's the official measurement. It's summer. We're 14 days in, and it's bloody snowing two hours up the road from us. Happy days. But how are you, John? I'm very good, Jared. I'm very good. We've got the entire opposite weather up here, I'm afraid. And uh, what was it that the honey badger said? It's sweating like a gypsy with a mortgage. That's what it's like in Brisbane. Hey, here we go. And how are you, Liam, over in Japan? And speaking of people with mortgages. <laughs> yeah, big news. I, uh, my, my, my lovely wife and I bought a house at the weekend. Um, Congrats. So man. I am now in about 200,000 US dollars of debt, which, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, feels good. It feels if, good. In a couple, if in a couple of years I disappear, but an identical guy who calls himself the Liam Carrigan suddenly emerges, you know what's happened, right? Yep. Uh, now, I've got a question for you, Liam. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, first of all. Thank now, you. the first thing when I saw that and read it, I was just like, okay, so am I going to have to put a sound, a train sound effect on my soundboard here? <laughs> so just randomly when you're talking in future podcasts, when you're in your new place. I can just randomly hit a button at least once or twice a podcast so we get a, the train noise for old old times' sake. Well, what I was thinking, I've got, I'm going to have a, a TV in, in my office that I'm going to set up in the new house for doing the podcasts. And what I'll do is I'll just play my Blues Brothers DVD on repeat, the, the scene where they're in the apartment. So you get that train noise inter, intermittently. So, yeah. I was, I was going to get the Thomas the Tank Engine one and just you know <laughs> just randomly play that just you know because it's oh, just that ridiculous i already had a tom tank before we started <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> one of those days oh, the pop noodle happy days yeah. <laughs> all right so as as you can see podcast name what world cup so to go back that's the way i'm feeling about it at the moment like world cup's been great but Come on, just want Celtic back. Just want to watch the boys again. So, hasn't been as long for us guys over here in Australia, particularly not you, Liam, but the rest of us on the pod tonight because we got to see the boys play up in Sydney. So, hasn't been as long as it is for the guys back over in Scotland. But yeah, hanging out for it. Just hmm. just want to get into it. So, what we'll do? We've got quite a bit of stuff to talk about about Celtic tonight. So we'll smash through it as. And uh, try not to waffle on too much. But what I'll do, though, is World Cup is on. We'll just have a quick little chit-chat about that for maybe four or five minutes. If anything has popped up that comes to mind, Liam with his um his Belgium home top, is it? Yeah. He's got rocking at the moment. Another DH Gate special. Happy days. <laughs> anything that's popped Other knockoffs are available. <laughs> 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 Anything that you've seen at um like in the last week since we're on the pod in the World Cup that you and I just talk about, Liam? Um, yeah, I I just I've been really impressed with Morocco. They've been an absolute inspiration. Um, I think it's quite sad, you know, what we've heard about Pele recently. 
and he famously predicted that an African nation would win the World Cup in his lifetime. And uh, well, he initially said within 20 years, but then he revised it to within his lifetime later on. And well, Morocco have got the last chance of doing that, I think. So it would be really nice if they could get a result against France, as unlikely as it might be. But uh, no, I'm uh, now that Croatia are out and Japan are out, I'm uh, actively cheering for Morocco now. On that though, Liam, I'm going to jump in before I throw to John all that. But mm. if France, let's be honest, France were probably the pre-tournament favourites in my opinion. They're more Brazil, and nice. they've just been going out there, playing well in every game. The issue with France is they always have that one game at every World Cup that they just have a wobble. Yeah, and no matter when it happens now, because it's Argentina through to the final, if they mm. have the wobble tonight in their game against uh, Morocco and Morocco get through to the final, it's a great result for football. If they yeah. get into the final against um, Argentina and have a wobble, in my opinion, that's still a great result because Messi wins a World Cup, the one thing missing in his career. So yeah. at the end of the day, no matter what happens, it's going to be a good result. I would love to see an Argentina be Morocco final hmm. because to me that – it's a great way to grow the game. It's been how long since Argentina's been in a World Cup final and Morocco has never been this far in it. And, you know, it's the old sort of thing like Leicester City won the Premier League and that was a big deal. To me, Morocco winning this World Cup is bigger than mm. that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, if- I mean, you, you forget that with Leicester, you know, they had, what was it, 200 million quid or something. You know, it, it was it was pennies compared to, like, Man City, Liverpool, whatever, but it was still a hell of a lot of money. Whereas international teams, you can't just go out and buy a striker or buy a midfielder. You've got what you've got and that's it. And Morocco have literally come from nowhere to, to, to you know, become the fourth, the, the third or fourth best team in the world now, you know? And John, anything from the World Cup that's jumped out to you? Um, not not that we haven't already spoken about. I think I think speaking to a couple of my friends, um, Australians who uh, follow football as well, but they they kind of get a bit sick. I, I mean, I, I get it, right? Because they grew up in Australia, right? And and uh, you get when you watch sports like uh, Aussie Rules and Rugby League, you always get the best team it rotates every couple of years right so you know there's you know, the whole draft and stuff and it always goes around they kind of get a bit sick of like the european and south american dominance of the world cup and stuff and they have the same problem with the premier league it's the same sort of teams that always win the premier league and they just kind of get sick of it for that reason so they kind of get a bit bored sometimes so they they, they are supporting morocco quite strongly they want somebody a bit different and they, and i agree i think it's nice to see um other teams that would you know be quote unquote the underdogs doing well um, because it just makes it a bit more interesting, right? You get to see um, different players that you wouldn't normally see and, and um, different continents get as far as they have and stuff. So I, I'm pleased for Morocco strongly. I don't think the internet is very pleased with Morocco anymore. Um, I don't know if everyone's seen that. <laughs> uh, the little girl on social media slagging Ronaldo, to, you know, airports that way. Poor Ronaldo <laughs> crying in the taxi. Now everybody... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's uh, in France quite strongly now, but oh, for God's sake, come on. I, I thought it was funny. It's, yeah. it's just more fun. And Shane, before I go to you, I'm going to bring up a comment from Andrew Galea here. Argentina and France are the two teams that beat Australia at this World Cup. So if it gets to that, 
I think you'd be a happy man as a massive Socceroos fan. Anything? Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think most of what we, what Liam and and John have just said, is pretty much what I would have underlined as well. We talked, you know, a week or so ago about how, you know, it was exciting to see a number of teams from Asia obviously make it through into the the knockout stages, you know. And then we've obviously seen, you know, Senegal made it through, unfortunately didn't progress any further. But for Morocco to come through, obviously the African nations putting their hand up as well. I think Johnny said it perfectly. Like your mates, I'm just excited to see that, hopefully see that kind of dominance uh, kind of just uh, be smaller than usual. I'm not necessarily saying... um, you know, Morocco will go on and win it, but for them to make it this far um, has been really encouraging, I think. And, um, you know, we do see at times at each World Cup that there usually is a little bit of an underdog story or, or a country that kind of just maybe bats, uh, bats above their average, to, to use a Australian turn of phrase. I think we've seen that from a number of countries uh, this World Cup around, uh, and Morocco is the, the one really leading the charge. So good on them. I, I hope that dream continues. But, um, look... I said France at the start of the tournament, so I'm still thinking they'll win it and just be too strong. Mahesh in the comments has gone, we shouldn't be surprised by what Morocco have achieved given the league the squad are playing in. Makes sense. When you look at it that way, on an individual player-by-player thing, yeah, it makes sense. But then if you look at the French squad, player-by-player where they're playing, you're looking at it and you're going, that's apples and oranges at the end of the day. I get it. And going the other way, look at what Japan and South Korea both achieved with having mostly domestic base players. You can throw the Socceroos into that as well, uh, or at least a a lot with very recent domestic history. Yeah, Yeah, 20 of the 26 players had been in the A-League in the last three years. Mm. Or whatever it was. Anyway, Liam brought Japan up, so that's a good little segue to our next topic. We get onto the Celtic chat. Itaguchi is rumoured to be heading back to Japan. Apparently, Gambo Osaka, that's where we signed him from, wasn't it? Yeah. Apparently, they're keen on linking up for a third stint with him, but also uh, Nagoya Grampus is also in for him. What do we think, boys? I'll throw to you first, obviously, Liam. What are your thoughts on that, if that happens? And has it been a little... For me, it's just injuries have ruined his time at Celtic and... I don't think – I can't see a way for him to break into the squad now, especially if we're trying to strengthen it. But what's your thoughts, Liam? Yeah, I think it's a real shame um, because there's a, there's a player in there, undoubtedly. Um, but it's you know it's not going to happen for him at Celtic. And unfortunately, now, I think that's his last chance of cutting it in Europe, probably gone. He's going to go now and play out his career in the J-League, um, which is still a decent level, but – he's always going to look back and wonder what might have been, you know, first at Leeds, then at Celtic. Both times, he's had a mixture of injuries and managers coming in who just didn't fancy him for whatever reason. Um, not the case at Celtic, because obviously Andrew went out and signed him, but, um, you know, it's really, it's unfortunate. But I think going back to the J-League, going to a club where he's going to play every week and he's going to be loved, uh, by the fans unanimously. I think that's what he needs for his own well-being and for the sake of his own playing career at the moment. I'm going to bring up a comment here from Andrew Galea. 
where he said, it's a pity for Itaguchi. We know how good he is, but the squad is moving forward. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with that slightly because we don't know how good he is as Celtic fans. We've barely seen the guy because of injuries. Mm. Like He came in his first game for us. He's playing. He gets basically leg injured season, season over straight away. And then he hasn't played a minute in anger this season in, in the league. He may have played in – did he play in the League Cup? I think that's the only time. So, yeah, and then we saw him over here against Sydney FC. And, yeah, for me, I don't know. I've seen him play in the J League. I know what sort of player he is, and I thought he was a good signing for us. But at the same time, that's unfortunate for him. But, Johnny, what's your take? Um. My my take's a little bit different, I guess. I, I've I've always been a bit surprised by the consensus of what Iriguchi is like. And I think this is I think I'm very much a minority here. Where everybody seems to think he's he's decent but has been unfortunate and stuff. And I think you mentioned that, Jared, and, and Liam's kind of touched on it as well. I, I personally never saw it when he when he, for the rare occasions that he did play, I never really saw it. I'm not saying that he was a bad player. I just didn't think he was as impactful as the other Japanese boys that came in at the same sort of time as he did. Now, that's probably more so to do with who came in with him than how he's played. Um, but I don't think he, I don't think he like lit up the midfield or I don't think he changed games or even when he, you know, he came on and stuff, he very much just was there and we were already on the attacking front. You know, I, I never really saw like fantastic passes. I can't remember any, you know, incredible plays that he made or anything like that. Um, and I, I don't want to say like like I told you so, but I always kind of felt like <laughs> I think I said this before. Like I don't think he's going to cut it at Celtic, um, so I'm not surprised by the rumours of him moving on and stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's terrible. I just think he's, I think he's like average, and I just don't think that's the trajectory that Celtic's going on. And I think you said that as well, Jared. Well, on that, John, like yeah, I agree with you. Like when he was over here and he played against Sydney, Shane, you were at the game. Did you? notice him on the pitch in this game against Sydney FC because when I was watching it on TV I'm one of those people I watch a game if the commentator saying someone's name a lot even even if I don't rate them I'll still at least notice them against Sydney FC I thought we're like a man down so I didn't hear him I didn't, didn't even see him do anything out there so for me I've seen him in the J League he's good I've seen him playing for Japan and that great but in this Celtic squad, nah, it's just not going to happen. But what about you, Shane? Yeah, no, look, I agree with you. I didn't really notice anything particularly special from him against Sydney. Um, just didn't look up to speed with um, with the game. But to be honest with you, he was partnered next to Abelgard and Abelgard looked uh, just as poor in my opinion. So I definitely wouldn't have flagged him as the only one. Um, Sort of who put in a problematic performance that night. They just looked looked off the pace is probably the best way I'd describe it. Um, uh, look, if for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked out. These things unfortunately happen. I think we'd all agree he hasn't had a fair run at it. This injury has really curtailed any momentum that he had in terms of a chance to build and and uh, at least fight for his spot. Um, but yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but. Um, like I said, it happens, and and I think Liam's right. I think the best thing for him is to to uh, get back to a club where he will be loved, and and he'll be able to um to get into the first team, and and um 
you know, start playing again because um, I'm sure that's what he really wants to, to do when, when he gets down to it. So all the best to him. It's, sorry it didn't work out, but um, hopefully he can kick on somewhere else and maybe he just gets one more chance at Europe if he's lucky. Fingers crossed. It could, it could very much be uh, like a, um, the, way, the way Celtic plays, like a style thing. Like he, he might not just suit Celtic's way of playing. He might prefer a slower pace of a game where you can pick a pass and all of that stuff. And he's never going to be... Because I think you brought up Ablegard, and I think Ablegard's potentially somebody similar, right? Uh, you know, not really lighting anything on fire, not really changing games, but is dead, there to steady ships and stuff. And I think Idiguchi fits that category as well. We've had players like that in the past. I'm thinking of Biton, right? But at least Biton, on occasion, very hot and cold, but he was known for sometimes changing games, right? Idiguchi just doesn't have that. We've had players that are just at the very bottom of our standard that have stayed in the team for a very, very, very long time, like the Johnny Hayes, etc., etc. But it isn't where we're going. And we definitely need, with the high rotation that we, we have in games, we need players that either bring something entirely different when you get, they're brought on or they just match the tempo immediately. And, and, he, he never did that. On the rare occasions we we saw it. The only the only thing I'd I'd sort of query about that is, would you say we've seen enough of him during his time at Celtic to make that call though? Because I I, Look, I feel like I wouldn't say that about him because I just haven't seen him his output enough at Celtic to to make that judgment. I can jump I think, in right here, please. Johnny, go on. Sorry. I I think that's a fair comment. I I mean I'm I'm probably picking out. Uh, you know, less than a dozen times he's actually watched him because he's never really played for us. But um, I think that's definitely a fair comment. What I was going to say is that at the end of the day, if Kelmack's out and you've got these guys, the Jandrews, Comrade, Itaguchi, McCarthy and Abelgard all moving out, if those three can't come in and cover for McGregor and we've got to take O'Reilly from the 10 roll and play him in the six, then at the end of the day, it just shows that is that far down the pecking order? What's the point? Now, I'll bring up a couple more comments. Mahesh has gone, I don't think he had the level of athleticism to make it at Celtic or any other Euro-level team. I don't 100% agree with you. A lot of Japanese players do well athletics-wise playing in like a Germany or in like uh, Netherlands, those two leagues in particular. So I think he could still make it in Europe. But I think... If he doesn't want to play in the J League, then he could come to the A League or go to the MLS and he could still do a good job there. So, and then we've got um, Edward in the comments is Gucci could have could have taken players on but chose not to. I blame Barry Ferguson and Aloha for the injuries and passiveness. Well, yeah. <laughs> I had to bring it up just because I wanted to, wanted to see Barry Ferguson getting slabbed <laughs> on the pod here. Never pass him a chance to rip into Barry Ferguson. That's just a rule. Exactly. Yeah. And then Andrew in the comments, if we are in the market for another midfielder, then the three I mentioned will all go out. Yeah. I think Abelgard has got six months to prove that he, he deserves to make his move permanent. Either Gucci and McCarthy and pretty much putting the line through their names. See, the yep. emphasis there is on prove, right? Now, uh, what you guys have said there, what you know has has Gucci had enough of a chance to really sh- to, for us to know what type of player he is? Probably not. But at the same time, I think the type of manager Ange is, the onus is on the player to impress him. So Gucci hasn't done anything wrong, but he's not done anything outstanding either. 
And that's I think that, that's the difference, is that guys like Hatati and O'Reilly come into the midfield and they're immediately making things happen. Gucci's not really put... A, I mean, I, I don't actually recall him having a massive mistake or putting a foot wrong, really, in a game, but I don't recall any like defence-splitting pass or wonderful shot at goal or whatever. He's, he's done nothing to to justify a place in the team rather than doing anything wrong while he was in the team, if you know what I mean. It's not It's not a very... Um, I was going to say fancy, but I, I guess it's not like a, a star-struck position, is it? Like, McGregor's yeah. very different, right? He's Because he's, he's in the top end of the brackets, right? But, mm. you know, most of your players, even the very, very proficient ones... That position, you're never going to set the world on fire. And, you know, even though I said that he never did that, but it, it's it's just one of those ones where, I, I, exactly as you're saying, Liam, he's, he's never really done anything to impress the manager. And, and even that, I thought that was true when we when we signed Ablogard. I, mean, I, I thought that was the death of Idaguchi. I thought, it's the exact same position. Why are we having another one? There's, there's no reason why you have McGregor and then McGregor's understudy and then the understudy's understudy. Why would you do that? You'd, you'd and McCarthy. Hit. And oh, exactly. But that was, but McCarthy was... McCarthy <laughs> and was Scott Robertson. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> exactly. The list goes on. And I think what we're, what we're trying to find is, is McGregor's understudy, right? We're trying to find someone who can justifiably play in that position. Maybe a bit more versatile, maybe somewhere else as well, because... You know, very rarely is McGregor getting taken off and stuff, and it's really covering for injuries and all that. I don't know. And that's probably the... I was going to say, that's probably the the really good point that you both made, is that he didn't do anything to, you know, immediately jump out and say, wow, that's that's something we want to see more of. He was solid without being spectacular, if you will. Um, And he's in a position where we've got a number of players who could potentially front up and play there week in, week out, and he's got to do something that elevates himself above those as well. I think that's a really good point, and unfortunately, we just didn't see it. And I think we'll leave this topic there because I think Shane has just rounded this off in a perfect little bow there, and it's all done. I think that no matter what we say, it's just going to be going on and on. So, yeah, yeah I think, uh, unfortunately, yeah, time's up at Celtic, and off he goes, back to Japan. But yeah. talking on potential departures... Good segue, Jared. Yes. <laughs> one, of, one of my best ones, I had to say, just as a joke here. Josip Juranovic's performances at the World Cup, what do you boys think? Did they add any potential any potential value added to his transfer fee if he was to leave? Like you don't be the you're not the starting right back for a final four team at the World Cup. And not have your value go up at a World Cup, in my opinion, especially when you've still got three and a half years on your contract. So is, are we all on the same page with that? And if we are, with Johnson now in the door and Juranovic still at the World Cup and with Ralston there as well, are we thinking, well, no, we discussed it last week, so we'll keep it short, sharp, straight to the point. Juranovic's performances with where we're at at the moment, squad depth-wise, is he going to be sold do you expect to see him sold in January? And if you do, what figure are we looking at? We'll go to you first, John. I will still be shocked if we sign him in January. However, I've I've been I've definitely been proven wrong before. Um, I I I think it's I think it's mad that we're selling Juranovic so soon. What if he got like five years left on his contract or something stupid like three, that? Three and a half. 
three and a half years. So there you go. So, like, I, I find like that's it's, it's pretty crazy that it's being considered. And again, Juranovic and his agent, they can they can be shopping around and gestating as much as they bloody want. So we do not have to accept any offers. We could just say no, we're not accepting offers right now. Um, with Johnson coming on, uh, coming in, um. Yeah, it's probably more likely that it, I still think it'd probably be the summer if he goes at all. But I guess we'll see. Um, uh, and just on that, very very strange listening to his interviews. It was the same back when we had Timo Weyer with the North American accent and the Celtic shirt. It just seems odd, <laughs> like it doesn't just doesn't quite compute to <laughs> me. Um, but it was nice to hear. Um, I definitely think the World Cups increased his value. It, it, it had to have, right? It, I think I think it's silly to think good performances in group stages increase players' values by very much at all. Maybe a hundred thousand, half a mil, something like that. See, so when you get through to the finals, and as far as Croatia's done, yeah, of course it has. Right, somewhere between three and five million extra. It has to have been because you've seen big pressure environments uh, where the player can perform. Therefore, the, the risk is mitigated. So, of course, the value goes up. I, I've said this. I still think 20 to 25 million isn't stupid. Guy's got three, three and a half, four years left on. He's just playing the World Cup. I think that's I think that's the money he's worth. Why would we want anything less for him? On that, that's John, I'm going to bring it up before we go to Shane. But the rumours are Atletico Madrid had got someone there um, scouting him in the last couple of games. Barcelona have had someone scouting him. West Ham, PSG, Juventus. We've got all the odds here. Barcelona are the favourites at two to one. Atletico Madrid three to one. West Ham seven to two. PSG six to one. Juventus eight to one. AC Milan ten to one. Everton twelve to one. Dortmund sixteen to one. They're all your favourites. All those clubs have been confirmed as having scouts at Croatia's last two games. Now Barcelona have been looking at that Diego Dalot at Man United, and they've been told. 40, 50 million for him. So if you're saying 25 million, John, for Juranovic, and his history is 18 months, two years tops at a club, and then he moves on, he's right in the window of where he normally gets his next move. And at his age, being 28 by the end of the season, I think it's the perfect time for Celtic to sell him. We've got a replacement in. As Andrew said here in the comments, sell him now. It's Ralston's shirt. So, yeah. and then Johnson comes in, back up Ralston, has to try and take the jersey off him, much the same way as Bernabe coming in as to try and take Greg Taylor's top off him. So that's the way I look at it. His window with how much time he spends at a club is pretty much there. If Barca or someone like that's going to offer 25, 30 million for him, see ya, good riddance. I'm sure there's about 10,000 Celtic fans over there who drive into the airport. But Shane, what's your take? I pretty much agree. Um, I, uh, you know, I was nodding along to everything that Johnny said, except I think we will sell him. Um, uh, I, you know, you, you look at it just from a facts perspective. You know, starting right back for Croatia at the World Cup, a team that's you know in the third place playoff. I don't think he's missed a minute of football throughout this World Cup. I think he's played every minute. Um, and he's put in really good performances as well. That's the other thing. It's not as if he's, um, you know, played poorly or been average. He's been very solid, very reliable. Um, and I think, as Jared alluded to, I think now he's at the time where 
you know, he's probably at his peak value and, you know, we can get the most for him right now post this World Cup buzz. So um, I think this performance or his performances, I should say, have definitely increased his value. I think I think it was 25, 30 mil you were saying, John, unless I'm mistaken. So oh, I definitely... Think I, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I probably... I'd, I'll, I'll split, the dip, split the middle and go 27. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely think it's increased his value. And, and I'd, if he's... I'd say he's. I'd say he's going. I'd say we, and we'll we'll sell him now. And Liam, we're all talking uh, crazy money, which is ten times what we paid for him. So, are you the realist, or are you going to say no? If Dalit's worth fifty million, then he's worth the same. I'm. I'm. I'm just going to say, uh, told you so, because a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember if it was on here or on Axon, but I I did say twenty million for Juranovic. We should not accept any less. And a lot of people were like, you're mental. And I said, no, wait and see. Croatia are going to go to the, the, the quarterfinals, maybe the semifinals of the World Cup. And then it will be start the offers at 20 million. And I think that's exactly how it's panned out. Um, but of course, we're all overlooking the real question here. You know, how much money has Borna Barisic added to his value as Croatia's water boy at this World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> Water boy, water boy. <laughs> oh. But it's no, I'll get this side. Twenty million. Start the offers at that. Um, we should not we'll sell go. unless we get offered funny money. But the clubs that we've mentioned are the ones that could afford to pay funny money if they really want it. And the best part as well, if you've got those sort of clubs there, and you go when you dive into it like I did earlier today, and look at their squads, all of them. Only really have like one starting quality right back, and then there's a massive drop off to like a young kid. So mm. he'd be someone that they could afford to spend twenty to thirty million pound on, and bring him in to challenge the established older right back to try and take their spot. So yeah. it would make sense for those clubs. And if you've got that many of them in that situation, then start the bidding war. And just yeah. watch it rise. Watch the money go up. We may be thinking, oh, yeah, 20 million, that'd be great. People pre-World Cup were saying 15 million, somewhere between 12 to 15. Someone on Axon said it. I can't remember who it was. And I'm like, and then you're saying 20 million, Liam. And, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy with I'd be happy with anything above 20. But if we got 25 to 30, I'd be absolutely stoked with that. Anyway, I think as well. See, see, just on, just on this, right? See, if we do sell them for something around about twenty million, whatever it is, see the business that we've done recently, phenomenal. Especially how, like, after the COVID and we went down, I think we went into debt, we went to like two million debt or something, three million debt. The the month, the revenue that we've brought in in the past couple of months, exceptional. We went right back where we were, we were before COVID. Get the hotel get built then. Come on, oh, come on, Pedro. You're getting back in the door in January. The hotel on the agenda in February. Happy days. Needs to happen. Listen in. We know you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll jump on to, um, I mentioned him earlier when we're talking about Itaguchi. Scott, with Scott Robinson looking likely to part the club permanently in January, what is the benchmark of a successful academy graduate at Celtic? So... The rumours with Robertson are Bruni's trying to sign him for Fleetwood Town or and St Mirren are after him as well to potentially replace Bacchus, who's getting some interest down in the English Championship. So 
if that's the case, what is a successful ben- uh, the benchmark for a successful academy graduate? Liam, you answered this in our group chat, so I'm going to throw to you first to say that, and then we'll go from Liam to Shane to John back to me, and we'll just like, all say our part mm-hmm. on it. I'm just looking up what I said just to make sure I get my words <laughs> right here. Yeah, um, to me, 21st team games is a sign that you've made the grade. Um, because by that point, you're either established in the first team squad or you've done enough to showcase your talent that Celtic could sell you somewhere else and make a decent profit. I mean, I think someone like Stephen Welsh, for example, got into that position about 18 months ago. Right? He'd played enough games for the first team that the question was, is he going to be a first-team fixture or are we going to sell him for a good a good couple of million? And I think that's where he is still to this day. We're not sure if he's Celtic quality or not, but if we sell him, you're probably talking at least two or three million, which is a good return on any academy player. Can I jump in here quickly, even though I said we're throw to you, Shane? I just want to run the player by you in that situation there, Liam, one I looked up when I read that. Okay. Are we talking about 21st team games for Celtic or 21st team games while under contract at Celtic? No, 21st team games for Celtic. That's what I was hoping because I'm looking at a guy and the one I looked up was Owen O'Connell, right? Mm. He played seven first team games for us in four seasons. But then was on loan. He played another nine, 26 games out on loan in the same time. So all up, that's... 33 games he played in four years. My opinion, not enough. No. So that was a good one to sell. But so he ticked your 20 game quota, but not at Celtic. So, okay, 20 games at Celtic is what Liam's saying. What are your thoughts, Shane? Yeah, much the same. I wouldn't, I probably didn't put a figure on it, but I thought the general consensus of being in and around the Celtic teams, that is, you're, you're either starting. Uh, or you're at least on the bench making up the first team as an option. Um, I think 20 games is probably right. And, yeah, I'd agree, for Celtic, not 20 games, uh, 21st team games elsewhere, including Celtic. It would have to be for Celtic. Because I think I think Liam's right. That gives you an opportunity to either establish yourself within the team um, to become a first-choice player, or you've shown enough of your wares that you can then get sold on um, uh, for a relatively decent fee. So I think... Liam's answer pretty much nailed exactly what I was thinking. Johnny? I, I was thinking about this um, this afternoon. I think it's a really good question. I think I, I think there's a difference between, as we've discussed, being a successful um, academy graduate that's been through Celtics Academy and being a successful Celtic Academy graduate. I think I think those two are slightly different, and, I, and, and I'll tell you what, what I was going to say, John. But go on. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you for why, right? I think I think for all of us, see 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 my immediate reaction when we asked the question in the um, when you released the run sheet and stuff. I thought, oh well, of course, it, you, you know, the only only measure of success is playing for Celtic. The whole point of why we have an of a an academy is because we want to. Um, train and raise the best talent and then they come and play for us for, and, and it's a way of circumventing transfer fees and all that stuff but there is still money to be made and it's still a measure of success when we have these graduates that come through the Celtic Academy that then go on and play for other teams and we still reap those benefits and I'm thinking of recently people like Ben Doak right, who's gone off to Liverpool 
and historically, Andy Robertson, right? Now, he's came through Celtics Academy. He's probably one of our most successful. So I think really, if we if we scale it back a little bit, and we and we try and sort of work out what actually successful means, see if see if we have any graduate that plays at a good level for their career. That's a success, right? And that that could even mean a graduate, um, Tony Watts, for instance, right? Obviously a success. That would be a success, right? But anyone like that who goes away and plays regular professional football at a high league, top 10 league, that would have to be a success because they've come through Soaks Academy. So I guess I guess that would be where I would measure my success, their career, rather than if they actually make it into Soaks first team. So I'll just carry on from what you're saying, John, because I agree with a lot of what you're going to say and you've basically taken a lot of points. I was going to use Ben Doak as an example. So and compare him to Kieran Tierney. Kieran Tierney comes through our academy, played for us for years, and then got his big move. Ben Doak came in, broke into the squad, didn't look out of place, and then got his move to Liverpool. And he's, you're hearing all the right things with Jurgen Klopp big up and him and all this sort of stuff from friendlies they played during the World Cup and that he's on the cusp of breaking into their squad, onto their bench and everything. So that is, that is a successful academy graduate for us as well the issue i have on all this is when a guy like ben doke hits 16 and can move with that cross border at 16 you can sign anywhere in professional terms in the same way the guys who went to bayern munich did and the guys who went to man city the guys who gone down to watford that sort of stuff all of those players could potentially in two three years time be successful players in big five leagues, right? And we're not going to get jack shit for it. We'll just get their next move. All we'll get is, you know, a development fee of a couple of hundred thousand. That's all we'll get. Mm. Now, the academy costs Celtic two to three million pound a year to run. So that's the equivalent of us signing a Josip Juranovic or a, you know... Add two of them together, a Hatade and O'Reilly, to run our academy. So if guys are off being successful elsewhere, that's great to see because they're coming and it's good for our academy. But at the same time, that's us providing a pathway to, and the spend for other clubs because there was a, some stats done during the COVID season and they had a look at the academies in Scotland and then compared it to the academies in England. And... Playing professional in the top top three leagues, I think it was in England and in Scotland, we were the, the seventh most prolific academy in the UK for professional footballers. But when you looked at the actual stats of playing at the club that came through the academy, out of like the list of fifty, we were in the we're like 41, 42. So we we're really bad at it. So somehow. The Colts coming in has is a good step in the right direction, but this is going to be a couple of year project to get that right, so we can actually see those guys breaking in at Celtic. But then we're still going to lose those guys, as I said, at sixteen who want to go and play in a big five league and get a big pay packet that we can't afford to pay them. Not everyone's going to be a Tierney or a, you know, that sort of level who'll stay around and for five years or so and then earn their big move off the back of that. I don't think we'll ever get over that. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think it's feasible to ever um, 
remove the constraint of the league that we're in. It, well, the the psychology of the league we're in, right? Because I think I think Scottish football's the trend recently is it's getting a lot stronger and stuff. Um, I think it's just numbers, right? I think it just means getting more in and you know doing what we're doing. And, and but like we were saying before, Colts is a great step in the right direction, and then actually giving these guys a pathway into the first team, we've got to do that. Yep, has to happen. Liam, I'll, I'll throw it to you for the last comments on this topic. I was just thinking um, something that would benefit Celtic and wider football as a whole is if the governing bodies could review this whole development fee system. Instead of it being like the set two or three hundred thousand pounds or whatever it is, make it a percentage of future transfer revenue. So say like wherever a player goes in his career, the club that developed him get a guaranteed five percent of every future transfer. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> no, but the thing is, it's not a lot to the clubs that are paying the fee, right? Mm. The difference between five mil between fifty million and fifty-five million is not a lot to a club like Real Madrid, right? But you imagine, like for example, if Celtic signed somebody from, let's say we signed somebody from Queens Park, right? And then he goes on to become a first-team regular at Celtic. Then he gets a move to England, goes to Man United, then goes to Liverpool then goes to Barcelona. Just bear with me. Right? The idea of somebody goes to Queen's Park to Barcelona is a wild idea, but could happen. Incrementally, over the course of like 10 years, Queen's Park are going to end up with probably 5 to 10 million quid from that. And Why? multiply that Why? out across all small clubs that have young players poached from them on a regular basis for nowhere near their actual value. Okay, so I like the idea overall mm. i love your socialist idea there liam and all this sort of stuff <laughs> however where i'm seeing the issue where this will fall down is a kid doesn't join an academy until he's 10 years old or he's mm. 12 years old which club is gonna be wanting oh we had him from when he was four till ten so we want we want mm. a chunk of that change and that's where it will get ugly because I... you, there's so many players out there who played, you know, from four, five, six years old at one club, then they went to another club, then they went to a school team, then they mm. got picked up by an academy. So does that mean of that 5%, if you got a 5% fee coming in and then you've got these three clubs all, you know, wanting wanting their, their share of it, it's going to get ugly. And the only people who will make money in that situation are lawyers when it goes legal. Right, but my, my counter-argument to that would be that's the way it is at the moment anyway. Right? Um, with the flat fee, you're still going to have people squabbling over a pitchy little amount of money. Yeah. Whereas to somebody like Queen's Park, getting a sliver of five million is better than getting a sliver of 50 grand, you know? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, when... No, I, and I, I see the problem with it. You, you're right, because... Well, yeah. What I'm saying Sorry, is, ahead. Liam, if you get to... Say if it's 50 grand, mm. to be split three ways. By the time teams at that level got lawyers and got involved and did all that, it's not going to be worth their while to hire a lawyer. Because by the time you pay off the lawyer and you go through the process, you might may, make two or three grand on top of what your lawyers would cost. Mm. But if it's five million 
And teams will be like, oh, there's a big chunk of cash coming my way. Of course I can afford to pay the lawyers. So then everyone will lawyer up and then everyone will have to settle. And then when things are settled, then you've got all their legal fees to be paid. Then they're actually getting in less money than they would have before. So I, I see your point. I agree with it. Like, that would be a great idea. But I'm just thinking, bigger picture, more money involved, more problems. True, true. But I think that if you have legislation in place that is set in stone, an academy player is someone who plays for a club from this age to this age and have it fixed, then you immediately shut down that legal process before it could happen. But it is it, anything that involves a lot of money is going to be litigious. So I, you, you, you've got you've got a very valid point there, and it's one that I honestly didn't think about. So yeah, let's go with these last two comments here from Andrew to finish this topic off. Mm. We need a reserve league. Yes, we had one, and then people, you know, got a bit skint couldn't afford yeah. it. That was rubbish. But then off the back of his reserve league thing. Developing players could play week in, week out with first-team fringe players that would develop quicker. Yep. Boys playing with men, of course, they're going to get used to the physicality. They're going to get into the locker room environment. Yep, 100% agree with it. But then that's us all being old school. Hmm. All right, so, Liam, you asked Hmm. for this one to be added. All right. As games are back this weekend... How can Celtic TV improve the product they offer to bring in new fans? What you asked said was people in Japan, Australia, etc., who know of Celtic thanks to our manager and players but don't yet feel any brand loyalty as such. What did you want to discuss about that? Well, to me, the problem is that Celtic treat all potential customers worldwide as if they are already fans. So... They think we're going to accept very, very poor and very cheap production values with the TV coverage that we get on Celtic's site. They think that we're going to accept the fact that I can't stream it on a, an, an, on an Android device or on a tablet that's any more than a couple of years old. Um, they think I'm going to accept the fact that all the other Japanese sports streamings sports streaming services have their own dedicated PlayStation and Xbox apps. Whereas if I want to watch a Celtic game, I've still got to hook up the laptop, mm. which is just unbelievably primitive. Um, to, to make it succinct, Celtic need to learn to stop treating customers like supporters. Right? And also learn that supporters are customers too. With expected standards that should be met and which are not being met by Celtic TV or by their international marketing departments in general at the moment. Like I've said previously, I'd love for Celtic to do the sort of thing like a WWE network where they have their own app, you hit your login and you get access to our games, you get access to the women's games, you get access to the youth games, you get documentaries on put together based on former players sit down and have an interview about their time when they played for the club in the 80s and 90s. So new fans, if they do get into it, we always think about if you know your history, that will allow those new fans to learn their history and learn who people are. And then then you could also have like an on this day feature, for instance, which would be on this day, um, Celtic 3, 
um, what's it called? St. Mirren one. And there's an old game that's allocated on there. You can just go and watch it anytime you want. And then you have all the old games from during the season as an on-demand sort of thing. So say if us boys over here in Australia, the game's a stupid kickoff at 2 a.m. at the moment, and it's just hard to get up for because you either got to go to bed early or you stay up, watch a game, and then get two hours sleep and go to work, right? In that situation, what I normally do, is the way I watch it is I'll, I'll stay through, keep the phone on, do not disturb, don't look at it in the morning, watch the game, get up an hour earlier, watch the game, then get ready for work. So it's like I'm watching it live and then I'll take my phone off, do not disturb because I've got that on demand. I can watch it that way. But if Celtic had that on the Celtic TV app, that would be worthwhile. And that ties into Andrew's comment here where he says it's a bit expensive, Celtic TV. And if we got all that value, extra value that I've just said there, I would pay for it. But for what you get, what you're paying and what you're getting, it's just not worth it. Now, John, I'll throw to you off the back of that because you had Celtic TV for ages and when we met you in Sydney, you were talking about getting rid of it and I think I hooked you up pretty good there. So um... Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I've binned it. I think it's um, – I just think it's an all right – it's an all-over shite service. Um, everything. Even, even from getting the games – uh, and you're watching them live, as much as you're saying, Jared, about us, you know, it's not a slog, but it's, it's we have to consider getting up at the 2 a.m.s and the 1 a.m.s and stuff. Even though, even when I did that, I would be either shattered or, or I'd be wired because I've been up all night, and then and then the feed would cut out, and you'd be sitting there for 15 minutes with nothing. Do I get a refund for that time? you got to be joking. Absolutely not. <laughs> it, it's, it, it was just all, and everything Lean was saying, God, would it not have just been easier just to like stream with my Chromecast or something or, or like just have it already an app already on my smart TV. I'm not having to at 2 a.m. get the fucking laptop out and plug it in with the HDMI and stuff. It's just a really bad service for £27 a month, by the way, because that's what you get outside of the UK and Ireland if you want to watch European games. That, that's not your cup games. That's just your European games. £27 a month. I'm paying not that <laughs> a, a, a year. It's it's a fraction of a fraction for the service I've got now, um, and it's just and I, and I always as as Liam was saying like they would treat they, there's an expectation that every single person that gets Celtic TV is is a supporter, and I would say that that's largely true. Um, I've I'm now a supporter that will no longer financially support my club in that way. I'm just gonna have to buy I'll buy jerseys I'll buy tops. Because I'm just, I'm just not using that service anymore. It's, 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 it's rotten. It's just rotten. Yeah. Well, off the back of that, John, like what you're saying about how much it was, like Andrew's in the comments here saying, I pay for Stan, which is where the Champions League games are shown over in Australia, B in Sports, which is where we watch the league games, Paramount, which is where he watches the A-League games, and he's got his A-League club membership. I've only got so much money. Exactly. And the cost of living, and that's something why we bring this up as well, is... Everything's got to be value for money. Otherwise, the cost of living at the moment, the prices just keep going up and up and up and up. Come on, people need to chop out somewhere. And eventually, as John was saying, he's not going to financially support the club on that regard. He'll buy he'll buy tops or he'll buy a scarf or whatever. But I'm, I don't, I'm not speaking out of turn for you here, John, when I say, why would you pay 27 quid a month for Celtic TV when you're getting a rubbish thing that 
you can sit up, get up at 2 a.m., put it on, and then it buffers for 15 minutes. And then by the time the game comes on, there's, there's already two goals scored, and then it ends as 2-0, and you've missed both games. I've had that happen before. And it's not it's not even it's that. Goals, it's, it's, it's the little things. And and it's not it's not, uh, it's not not because of the distance we are in Australia. I'll get updates on live score quicker than I'll see the yeah. fucking thing on Celtic TV. Do you know how brutal it is inside? Like, we all know the feeling. When it's a European game and you see the other team score on live score and you get a notification, and now you've got to anticipate <laughs> what the fucking score <laughs> thing. It's horrid. And I just can't have it. I just and, and I'm hitting the the live button to get it quicker to get and it's just it's just it's shit shit. And then, and then we, we all thought it was going to be amazing. I remember we talked about it with um, I forget it was like Sunny Productions or Sunny Side Productions or something like that that had it during the COVID years um, where it was like you know this whole all support and we thought oh fantastic you're spending money that they needed to anyway it's a big overhaul it just reverted back to the nonsense it just went back to the absolute shy that it's always been and it's not that it's 27 pounds a month right it's that's a lot of money it's a lot of money for a lot of people for me it's it's the it's the it's the principle of everything i'm not paying 27 pounds a month when i'm getting nothing in return when i would have paid i don't know 400 quid a year and i'd have been able to go to Celtic park it's just I'm just not having. I'm just not having it. <laughs> so I'll bend it, yeah. and I'll buy jerseys, and I'll buy scarves and DVDs, and that'll be the way that I support my club. Shane, you got anything, Dad? I think you boys hit the nail on the head. Really, I think uh, you've touched on all the key points: uh, stability of the product, the lack of flexibility in the product to be an app, or, or you know, to be able to, you know, connect to it via a smart TV. Um, but I also, when I was thinking about this today, and Liam's point really touched on this about the whole um, customers as supporters uh, side of things. You know, there is, people know Celtic, right? You know, Liam's comment was right. People in Australia and Japan and everywhere around the world know Celtic and, and there's a heightened interest in Celtic at the moment in both Japan and Australia and people want to get involved. Um, and I think Celtic TV, if it was good if it was flexible and it was stable and cost-effective, would be a great opportunity for people to become involved in Celtic and to actually transition from knowing the club to becoming supporters, you know. And so in terms of being able to, uh, I guess, work on that, um, that mantra or getting people involved... As a fan overseas, if I was just getting involved in the club, the one thing I'd want to to be to know if I had Celtic TV, or the one thing I'd want to see is I want to see, I want to know about the club. I want to know about the club. I want to know about the history of the club. I want to know about past players of the club. I want to know what the club means to people. And I think Celtic TV can do more of to do more of that for our um, not just even international fans. To be honest, I'm sure. Um, local fans would appreciate seeing it as well. They'd be keen to, to re-watch and relive highlights. I think you guys touched on all the key elements, but I'd love to see a greater emphasis on on people potentially joining and then being able to learn about the club and the club's history. Um, I think that's a on big that, thing. On that, Shane, look, on Foxtel over here, we have the Man United channel. Where the, we used to have Man United channel, Liverpool TV, Chelsea TV, and they've all been, as part of being sports, now they've all been combined and you get different shows. But... What we'd see with Man United was they'd have like ones where they'd have former players come in and talk about certain seasons. And there was one with like um, Mark Hughes was in and he was talking about playing at Man United. And then there was 
a Liverpool TV one and they've got like Jamie Carragher sitting there talking through some stuff. And it's things like that, that I'm not a fan of either of those clubs, but I do like learning about what's going on behind the scenes and behind the curtain within teams. And that's why players at the end of their careers can write a book and suddenly you read it and you're like, oh, this happened, that happened in their career. And you just get, you find it interesting sort of stuff in there. So for me, that's the sort of thing I like. And when you can Mm. get those little hour-long docos teaching you about a season in the club's history, then that's a perfect gateway to educators as fans on what the club, what, what happened in the club's history and learn about it. So, yeah, anyway. Spot on. Now, Liam, mm. you you were telling us in our group chat about an Adidas shop in Japan. Yes. Uh, Celtic with their immaculate timing as usual. Just as I was putting the finishing touches on a 4,000-word article I was writing about how crappy their international marketing is, go and announce that they're now selling Celtic shirts in the Adidas shop in Japan, which I've been telling them they should do for the last two years. Um yeah, uh, Celtic shirts are now available to buy locally in Japan. So credit to whoever it was at Adidas or Celtic or possibly both of them that made it happen. Um, it's only the home shirt and the away shirt at the moment, and it's only short-sleeved. It's only with sponsors, and there is no options for customization. Um, but it's a start. They're also £10 more expensive than... Uh, than they are in the UK once you convert the the yen. Um, but football shirts in Japan traditionally are extortionate anyway, right? I mean, some J-League shirts can go as high as 100 quid. So it's not that unusual. Um, it's actually a pretty fair price point for the Japanese market. So whoever uh, Adidas has decided that 15,000 yen is the price you pay for a Celtic top, I think they've, they've probably done the right research in that regard. But I don't know if it's particularly conducive to bringing in new fans, as I talked about before. Um, because if you are get the option of buying a Real Madrid shirt, a Celtic shirt, or a Bayern Munich shirt, and they're all the same price, if you're just a general football fan, you're probably going to go for Real Madrid or Bayern Munich because they're bigger names internationally. Um, so I think that maybe... Celtic are not charging an unreasonable price for the shirt, but I think they could maybe have pitched it at a more realistic level as a club that's trying to break into an emerging market. All I've got to say is that's step one complete. Japan's got it finally. Mm. Step two, as Andrew's saying, it's not so easy in Melbourne. Yep. No. Unless unless they've got them at Rebel Sport or JD Sports have them occasionally, there's no chance. Like, come on. Let's yeah. get them. Let's get them out here. Like I know, Meyer in Melbourne, they've got this sports section downstairs, and it's got like a full Adidas shop, and it's full of tops. There's like Man United's everywhere, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich. Those four in particular are everywhere through that shop. I'm like, why can't we get a rack of just at least two or three, like home, away, on a retro or something like that. Hmm. I wonder if there's a reason. I wonder if there's like a some sort of I don't know merchandising reason why it's not so easy just for Celtic just to you know pull a trigger and 
sell out in all these different countries. It's weird. I'd, I'd love to know because we do, we need more visibility here. I'm I'm glad to hear from Liam that the shop in Japan is selling them, but we need more we need more visibility and more um, you know notice here in Melbourne. You know, we our sports stores here that sell all these international football tops should have Celtic tops. It should be a non-negotiable. What well, I would say, though, just to add, sorry, just to add to what I was talking about there, I I discovered this by accident, right, when I was on the Adidas site looking for something else. So they've done nothing. Celtic have done nothing to promote this locally. Adidas have done nothing to promote this locally. It's just this item has just randomly appeared on the on the Adidas website, and uh, it's not been pushed in any way. I mean, even, you know, Celtic have their Japanese language Twitter, they've got their Japanese language version of the website, which is just transliterated from English, but that's another story. Um, Translate anyone? But, yeah, <laughs> translator, hello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I literally spoke to one of your new players in Japanese a couple of weeks ago, but anyway. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the thing is, it's it's just so basic that they don't even have even like a, an email that they should send out to Japanese people who have who have subscribed or took memberships with the Celtic store or whatever, just to say tops now available locally. You know, get a mailing list going in Japanese would be perfect. Good touch. Yeah, yeah. Like I was just gonna say here, like. Uh, in the comments there, Andrew said, even at the Sydney weekend, they ran out of kits here. Exactly. They yeah. did that. And, yeah, it's just um, like for me the other day, I was going to say, I was driving in my hometown, went back up there to see, see the folks. I'm going into the supermarket, and what do we see? The one I call the Kyogo Cup Cup final top, the green one, mm-hmm. gold stripes, and you see that out in public, and I'm just like, I know that's a Celtic top, and I saw it, and it's like I, I popped my tits off seeing that. I was just like, yes, how good this is!" It's like as us, we see like we a Celtic fans, we see someone wearing our top, and it's like I just want to go over and give them a pat on the back. How are you, mate? Blah blah blah. Because I'm just wrapped to see it. Mm. And after Sydney, there's it was great seeing how much green and white there was everywhere, and then at, to come back home and not even be able to go to the local sports stop to buy it shop to buy a top is just like oh okay i have to go online and buy it again and you know get it shipped out here and hope it actually goes properly this time so um and that was the time to do it like to just to sorry to cut in but that was the time when celtic were here when all the press was happening that was the time to get it out everywhere so people were like oh yeah hang on everyone's talking about Ange and celtic oh there's a celtic top here all right let's buy that yeah Exactly. So, oh, well, that is what it is. We'll um, see how it goes. We've got a couple of things. Couple, uh, what do we got? One, two. Two more things to chat. So we'll try and get through them quickly. Shane, you wanted to mention the A-League drama. Now, the only reason, I know this is a Celtic podcast, and a lot of our viewers and listeners are back over in Scotland, UK. They don't really care too much about Australian football. The only reason this is on the pod what Shane's saying is I just want you guys to know is it's not just the SFA and the SPFL mob that are absolutely completely incompetent. We're copping it over here too with our local league. So, Shane, give us the cliff notes on what 
latest uh, with the A dramas of the A League. Thanks, Jared. It's going to be a bit of a ramble, and I apologise in advance to everybody, to Johnny, to Liam, yourself, and everybody <laughs> tuning in because it's going to it's going to get a bit messy. But um, look, I'll just give a a bit of context. Obviously, a few weeks ago we spoke after the Socceroos were at the World Cup, and think it might have been actually last week's pod. Now I think about it, and I was quite bullish about what this run meant to football in Australia and and taking it forward and being able to you know, translate that that support that we saw, those amazing scenes at Fed Square and the other live sites into supporting our local league and, and getting involved again. And this week, all that momentum within the space of a single announcement came to just a grinding halt. And, you know, it was like the, the air being let out of a massive balloon. It was just so deflating. Um, just to give a bit of context on the situation, um, the way the sort of system runs over here is that um, with our league, we reward both the team that finishes at the top of the league uh, at the end of the season when all the home and away round is completed. Uh, and then we move into a finals system, a top six final system where um, each team will play each other. And the um, showpiece game is the grand final, which um, is essentially the end of the season. And that team is also rewarded with a trophy and place in Asia. So, it all centres around. Shane, hold on one uh -oh. second. We've got to make sure everyone tuning in so they know. If you finish top of the league, you win the Premier's plate. Yeah. Okay. And the top two teams, because it's a top six final. So how it works is one and two get the first week of finals off. Three plays six, four plays five, and then they play their their home their two legged game or knock knockout. I think it is now, and then yeah, it's knockout first week of finals, and then the high one plays the lowest ranked team two plays the next lowest ranked team and, and the home and away thing to get into the grand final. And in the it's grand final, of... they, they play what they call the toilet seat because it looks like an actual toilet seat, that trophy. <laughs> it's kind of like um, I always thought when I was explained to it the first time, I always thought it was like the split, but like post-split, it turned into a cup. That's kind of how I look at it. No, Sounds about like the NFL playoffs, it? actually. If yeah. You, yeah, there it is. The Super yeah. Bowl kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably the best sort of comparison mm. to it. Oh, I don't know if anyone actually gets a, a, a trophy at the end of the NFL season. And if NFL fans, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's called the Super Bowl. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I meant before that, but you know what I meant. Um, I know. That's why I said it like a dickhead. <laughs> it's, it all... it's not a ball and it can't fly. But anyway. <laughs> go on, Jane. Back to what you were saying before I cut you off. No, no. Don't, please. The context always mm. good. Um and it all centres around the team hosting the, the grand final, the showpiece game, the highest ranked team that makes it through to the grand final. So the highest ranked out of one, two, three, four, and five, depending on if six makes it or whichever team's the highest ranked, gets to host the grand final in, in their city. Um, you know, so if Melbourne Victory was to finish first and win through to the final, they would host whoever was next to them. And that's been the way of the A-League since its inception, which is, you know... Oh, it's not, we're not even at 20 years yet, actually. I think we're at set years 17 or 18 by memory. You're, and, you're 18. You're but 18. The, and the context as well, though, the AFL Grand Final is always held at Melbourne at the MCG. The NRL Grand Final, so the Rugby League, is always held in Sydney at where we played Everton at that stadium. So this was a massive differentiating factor between our football and the other football leagues over here because the grand final was played at the home of the highest-ranked team. So that was 
that was something that was different. But back to what you're saying, Shane. And it all centres around this agreement that the APL, so the Australian Professionals League, who is the, essentially the administrative body or who run the A-Leagues mm-hmm. now, so both the A-League men's and A-League women's, who signed an agreement with uh, Destination New South Wales uh, to say that over the next three seasons, uh, the showpiece grand final will be played in Sydney, irrespective of which teams actually make the final. So... Um, you could have a situation where Perth and Western United, Western United and West Melbourne team, uh, manage to make it through to the grand final and they'll be playing in Sydney. Um, it's a, it's, I'll get into the other details shortly about what's made everybody so upset. It's a, it's a shocking move. It's, it's terrible. It's, the game isn't able to support that, in my opinion, um, I don't see any reason why this was moved. It's it's an area within the competition that didn't need to be tweaked. But bef- secondary to all that um, was the PR campaign or PR spin that came out about it from the APL, uh, basically bigging up the bigging up the move. And one of the main comments that they highlighted, well, two comments they highlighted is that they want to make it a new tradition, which is essentially a host city hosts the grand final. Um, every couple of years and they move it elsewhere. And the second one was that they were likening it to the playoff final in the UK so that if a team's, you know, uh, going up from the Premier League could make it through, it would always be in Wembley or Millennium Stadium. And they sort of made it and said, well, this is a great way for people to to see as a pilgrimage and make it over uh, to Sydney. There's a big geographical distance between travelling between places in England and travelling between the various different states in Australia, a significant difference. Um, everyone remembers the uh, bus trip that the Perth CSC took across to Sydney recently. Uh, well, that was 44 hours. 44 hours. I'll do that again. Hey, <laughs> hello to Perth CSC, by the way. And everyone I bumped into about that trip, I'm glad it was a safe and enjoyable one. Um, it's very frustrating that this has been done this way and simply signed off with very little fan consultation, uh, we've seen a, a there was a significant backlash as soon as the announcement was made. Uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter know that I've been pretty active in condemning the move as as very short sighted and uh, very much against fans' wishes and and actually what we want for the game. And so that fan backlash, which then included people, other stakeholders in the game, so other you know people like players and administrators. We've even seen players who were actually in the PR video come out and critique the decision as well. Um, and the PR sort of uh, move coming from the APL and, and the CEO in particular was more about how fans were just kind of being emotional and needed to accept that this was for the betterment of the game and um, it was a big decision that we'd all thank them later, effectively talking down to fans, which really went down like a lead balloon. Um, the guy's a FUD, basically. So the easiest way I can sum him up. He is an absolute wanker. His head is that far up his own ass, it's coming out of his own mouth. Cannot stand him. Absolute you said it. dickhead. You, and, uh, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> and all I want to say is if anyone wants the rundown of everything, get on Twitter, at ShaneB31. And I'm sure if you go scrolling through and stalking through Shane's account, you know, you'll get the fair update on it all. <laughs> don't, go, don't go too deep. Anyway, I'll wrap this up pretty quick. So I, I, I can appreciate and I, I thank 
you guys for listening in while I sort of ranted about it. Look, the the pressure that was generated yesterday resulted in an extraordinary board meeting uh, within the APL and the, the club owners were involved, I believe, in a vote. And there was a genuine excitement and my belief was that this decision was going to be overturned or at least tweaked to the point where there'd be some way that it would be mitigated. Um, and to my personal utter dismay and extreme frustration last night, very late on an announcement came out that effectively the, the group who made the decision were effectively backing it and saying no, despite all the negative attention and the significant backlash and the fan protests that have been organised, we're still going to go ahead with it and people are just going to have to put up with it and accept it. And uh, look, I'm disgusted by the way we've been treated as fans. Um, I, I'm seeing people who are who have been fans since day dot, absolute died in the wool, A-League supporters of their respective clubs, defended the league, supported the league no matter what, um, who will go, are going to walk away because of this and the way they've been treated. And it's extremely sad. And it just comes at the most inopportune time when Australian football had a wave of momentum that I don't think I've ever seen it have, not at least since 2005. And for this decision to be made and to completely halt that momentum and possibly switch it into reverse in a significant capacity has just been utterly deflating. Um, there'll be Come protests on, you're this missing, weekend. You're missing the obvious here, mate. It's a massive own goal. There you go. You're missing it. Yeah, it really is. It's it's the potential that this has. You know, you and I chatted about this and, and you know, I, I, when this initially came out, you know, the comment was, well, you know, it probably won't kill off the league. With everything that's been said and done, mate, you know what? I'm not as I'm not as sure anymore. I think there's so many people that have been so, you know, Australian football fans have been burnt a lot in the past by previous administrations and the way they've treated, in particular, supporters. Not just the game here, but supporters in particular. This is the last straw for a lot of them. There'll be some significant protests on the weekend to to show the frustration, which I'm happy to say I'll be part of. Um, Look, I, I don't want to be too defeatist. I, I don't think it's over yet. I still think we've got a voice and, and we're going to use it to try and undo what we can. But um, right now there's a general feeling of simply just disappointment, completely dismayed, and uh, the, the people in charge have shown just how completely out of touch they are with supporters. And um, I don't see how they can continue on. All I'm going to say just to wrap that one up, Shane, is... As an Australian football fan who used to go to the NSL, I've seen Soccer Australia come and go, the FFA come and then hand the A-League off. Now the APL come in, or everyone thought the APL coming in was going to be a big step in the right direction, privatising the league like the EPL, like the um, MLS, and it was going to grow. And to go and do this has completely deflated a lot of support. There's a lot of talk about how this is a real, this new FFA was Sydney-centric and the APL is as well because the soccerers used to play their qualifiers everywhere and now they locked in Melbourne, they play in Adelaide, they play in Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, whatever, and they'd rotate around and it's been Sydney non-stop for ages in the same way the Matildas, it's been in Sydney and now they're getting a full-time base down in Melbourne. So it's like it's a little bit disappointing, but then on top of it, you've got this where... You've got supporter groups like the two big Sydney clubs, Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. Their supporter groups are planning protests this weekend and they're the guys who would actually benefit the most from this being in Sydney for the next two years. 
I just can't wait to see the crowd reaction this weekend when you've got the Melbourne Derby. And usually you get a full house of 32, 33,000 people there for that. I just can't wait to see our fans going to vote with their feet and not turn up. And if they do show up, what's the how toxic is it going to be and what sort of backlash is going to be with banners and stuff from the active support? Um, actually, yes, it's a watch this space for me. I can shed some light. On the 20th minute, there'll be a walkout of fans, uh, which is going to extend from the active groups beyond. And I expect a, a significant portion of those who aren't in the active areas will also walk out. So 20th minute comes around, um, most will be vacating their seat and uh, leaving. And I just want to say one thing to, to wrap it up if I can. And a very famous man once said, football without the fans is nothing. Yep, 100%. All right, so back to the Celtic stuff quickly. So we'll try and finish the pot off in the next two or three minutes. So appreciate everyone watching and sticking with us this long. Celtic versus Aberdeen on Saturday. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll quickly go through, rattle off our starting lineups. We'll go around and then a score prediction and then we'll crack on. So for me, I'm thinking it'll be Hart, be Taylor, Starfelt. Is Carter Vickers back? I'm not sure if it's not. Jens will be in there and Ralston will be starting at right back because he's our only option we've got in that position. Midfield, Kelmack, O'Reilly and Hattari. It'll be good to see those three. Up front, Kyogo. I'm thinking Jota and Haksabanovic out wide. That's what I think we'll be seeing. Anyway, and for us, what's an away game? Yeah, 3-1 win. Hopefully no VAR controversy. Liam, what are you thinking? Um, Pretty much the same team, but I think Kobayashi will feature at some point. You can't Don't play know yet. If start, but of course, I, I'm talking shit. Ah, sorry. Oh, stupid me. I'm forgetting what time of year it is. I'm thinking because the World Cup's over, that's the winter break over, but no, it isn't. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Almost there. Hang on. Oh, I managed to yeah. go a full hour and 18 minutes without making an arse of myself, and I bloody ruined it in the last minute. Right. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Nice to know my friends have always got my back. Right, anywho. Uh, pretty much the same team you just rattled off, Jared. Um, with, uh, I think we'll get a 3-0 win. Johnny? Um, yeah, I don't see the team changing much either. Um, I think maybe front three might be a badder Jota and Kyogo. Potentially, um, I think we'll be slightly sluggish. I think most people have had a long break. I think it will take them a while to sort of crack back in. I know we played the behind doors friendly against Wren. Um, so maybe a lot of them are sort of getting back up to speed and stuff. So I, I'm going to say 2-0 away win. Um, and there definitely will be a VAR decision. You've got to be joking. They've got to use it. <laughs> You've got that button ready to go. So, yeah, 2 0. Shane, Same lineup. Uh, I'm pretty sure Cameron Carter Vickers is back. Um, it'll be great to see Kalmak back. Uh, it'll be great to see O'Reilly in the more advanced midfield role as well. Uh, yeah, look, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect too much. I think that uh, it might be a little bit 
sluggish is probably a bit unfair, but you know, it might take a little bit of a while to get back into rhythm. So I'm going to say same as Johnny, 2 0. Happy days. So we'll, um, as we wrap the pot up here, um, I just want to give a plug to the Celtic State of Mind charity weekend that they've got this weekend. So 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday, there'll be live shows going. Uh, they've got their charity single out as well. So if you can download that, that'd be great. They're trying to raise money for St. Mary's. I think it is the home of Celtic. So we'll have Celtic Down Under. We'll have a, a one-hour show on there at some point. I'm not sure when, but we'll be on there. And, um, yeah, just tune in and, yeah, if you can download the song as a way of supporting it and raising funds for a charity, that'd be great. Um, what we're doing, I'll give some plugs to us, Instagram and Twitter at Celtic Down, Facebook and YouTube, Celtic Down Under, search for us, look for the Boxing Kangaroo, give us a like, give us a subscribe, and, uh, yeah, we appreciate all the support we get. Final thoughts for the pod, we'll uh, go to you first, John. Oh, well, okay. As always, my final thought is going to be my music tip. It's actually not my music tip of the week. This was suggested to me by one of our regular listeners, um, Strange, Lo- Strange Love of the Doctor, who isn't on, he's normally on, but he's, he's not on um, this week. Uh, he recommended someone called Devin Townsend. I thought, who the hell is that? Never heard of that person in my life. I went away and listened to them. Jesus Christ, he's amazing. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's he's one of these very, very talented musicians who produces everything himself. He plays every instrument when you're listening to it. Um, overall, and, and all the vocals, it's all him. He's um, very, very, very talented. Uh, it's very much progressive rock slash metal, um, but it's very much um, influenced by sort of your classic rock bands and stuff and if you like muse i think it sounds a little bit like muse as well i think it's a big splash of that in there as well um yeah really really good um artist devon townsend give him a listen shane sends on some uh, positivity to do with australian football and uh shout out to celtic old boy tom rogic uh scoring his first goal for west brom uh a couple of days ago uh, typical Tom Rogic finish too from the edge of the box outside of the foot, that kind of sublime strike that only Tom Rogic can make look so easy. And, uh, you know, on comms for that game was uh, Ian Crocker as well, who's uh, called in many a Tom Rogic stunner. So um, good on you, Tom. Hopefully you kick on from here, mate. I'll go next. Um, it's your final thought. Cold weather, whether it's over there in Scotland where it's bloody fresh from what I hear, and over here, where it was hailing while we are doing the podcast, if you've got dogs, pets, whatever, look after them. Keep them out of the cold. Um, if we're cold, they're freezing as well, so look after your pets. And Liam? Yeah, on that note, actually, I just want to send my good wishes to a, a poor animal that got quite badly injured at the weekend, from what I hear. Um, Santa was out training with his reindeer, and one of them got hit by an errant penalty kick on Sunday, Sunday morning. So... Uh, Get well soon, Blitzen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Hail, hail. Hail, hail. hail, hail. That, was just, that was just bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and your point is...